Hello and welcome to the 411, powered by H podcast. We are a group of seniors living in Vancouver, BC, and we all belong to the 411 Senior Center. The producers of the podcast are just about the most diverse bunch of people you could imagine, which is perfect because that's exactly what a podcast for seniors should be. Coming up in this episode, we'll be talking about ways to make money as a senior. We'll be discussing brain fitness for seniors with our special guest, Janice Bannister. And finally, you will hear some fabulous short stories from some of our creative writing group members. Coming up first though, we have a couple of our members Floor and Dorothy chatting about what the Senior Center means to them. What does it mean to be an active senior? To be an active senior is mean that you can integrate to the system and you you keep your mind healthy because you need communication with people and it forces you to get up and do things. How did you come to live in Vancouver? I came from Calgary and I have a, a layoff because it was recession time. I work in contraction and so I changed. Uh, I came to Vancouver to try something else. I ended up working 25 years taking care in palliative care and mental. What's a secret talent that you have? I have many secret talents. <laughs> well, my talent is that I like to hear people. I like to listen to people. And because you learn too much just observing. Um, and I like nature. So those are my, I will say my talent. Mm -hmm. I have hobbies. <laughs> What's something we don't know about you? Well, nobody knows know nothing about us, you know, yourself, you know. The, because we are uh, like an actor. Every day we put something different in life. What does the 411 mean to you? Uh, it's meant to me um, to have friends, interact, and help, and have communication with different people, different culture. That's very important, um, the interact. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be an active senior? Boy, there's lots of things to do, so you can have your pick. I've done quite a few things at 411. It's, uh, doing yoga now, and I've taken French and Spanish and Mandarin and a tai, tai Chi, and even the walking group. What's a secret talent that you have? I don't have a secret talent. <laughs> What's something we don't know about you? Um, that I don't know either. I don't think I'm quite open. What does 411 mean to you? 
Oh, it's a friendly, warm place to go and meet new friends and old friends and lots of activities, or there can be lots of activities. So. Making money is never easy, but you don't have to tell that to seniors uh, living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Next up, we have a discussion with some of our members on inventive ways they make money. Talking today will be myself, Lynn Curtis, Kathy Craig, Taylor Cole, and Mayomi Spray. We all know how expensive it is to live in Vancouver. This city seems even more expensive when you're a senior, especially on a limited income. The two things seniors seem to have in abundance is time and experience. So why can't we use our time and experience to make some extra money? Here's some ideas for you to think about. So when I first retired, uh, a friend across the street uh, started sending me her overload of people looking for a pet sitter. Now, I have a background as a dairy farmer, so I definitely know something about animals, and I've always had pets. So I thought, well, you know, this will be great. In actual fact, the first year, I ended up sustaining a really bad dog bite, ended up in urgent care and on antibiotics, and discovered that uh, there's a significant <laughs> group of um, not just the dogs, but people that it's just not going to work for me. And so I had to learn through, um, through trial and error. So after a few years of doing this, uh, here are my guidelines for um, dog, looking after dogs specifically. Um, has the dog been given obedience training? Can it walk and heal obediently? I'm 70 and there's no way that I can realistically deal with a, a big rambunctious pup. And uh, um, I visit ahead of time and will walk with the dog with the owner. And I learn to say no, you know, politely if necessary. And um, then, you know, I, I realize that I just have to kind of get a feel. Is the owner invested in the dog's health? Because uh, looking after a, a poorly groomed dog, I mean, even a dog that with their nails are too long or whatever, it's itchy or flea-bitten, flea and seriously, this has happened to me. It's no fun looking after a dog that is not taken care of well. And is the vet contact information at the ready or just an afterthought? And I, I have had to um, go to the vet for extra medication for a dog. I know how important it is. So short form, does the owner really care about the dog? And if they do, they're going to care about me as the pet sitter. And um, they're not going to complain about the fee. And they're going to appreciate uh, my willingness to really put time into their pets. Uh, another of my pet peeves is um, clean sheets. Now, if I'm going to be staying over at someone's house and house sitting as well as, as pet sitting, which oftentimes is the deal, I expect clean sheets. And I have learned to insist on it. And uh, sometimes um, those conversations are awkward, <laughs> but it's important to me. And um, I have learned, too, that 
the disruption of moving house for me, um, I have learned I limit myself to no more than six weeks a year of um, pet sitting. And right now I'm I'm looking after an adorable, though smelly old pug. And, and Taylor, who's going to be talking to you, was over yesterday and... And, um, yeah, he's a bit smelly, but because he's old and he's ill, I don't care. I love the dog. And I also um, recently cared for a a lovely cat. Uh, And these people are always uh, say to me, do you want to have a friend over? And they leave out extra bedding and sheets for my friend. And um, anyway, they... They're so nice to me. Actually, they oftentimes leave uh, a lint chocolate bar on my pillow with a love note because they're so appreciative of of me taking care of Bubbles. So the next time they call me, the first day is going to be on them. I mean, if somebody makes my stay really great, I I give them a you know a a break in my rate. So I think like anything for ma- making money, it. It's about relationship. It's about trial and error. I mean, the part I don't like about it, I'm supposed to be retired. I don't want to have to go through all this decision-making that you have to, like, when you're having your regular career. Um, but uh, pet sitting is a big responsibility, and it's, um, yeah, there's a lot that goes to it, goes into it, and uh, even with some um, risks. So that's my story. I started, I also started doing... Uh, uh, pet sitting after a while, like when I left my my job as uh, in the accounting department, I uh, I was on unemployment for uh, almost a year, and then someone told me about Daisy made house cleaning services, and and uh, she was she was working for them, and I took her place for uh, a day, and I thought. Wow, this would be kind of neat to do instead of instead of sitting at a desk all day. I'll get my exercise and I can I can uh, clean house. Wow, <laughs> working for a company a like that—that's a lot of work. Five five houses a day with oh a with another person. Like you have a partner that you go and I I did it for two years and but I really got strong and. Uh, except something happened to my arm, and and uh, I couldn't do it anymore. So I went on workman's compensation for a while, and and uh, <coughs> then decided to uh, uh, put an ad in the paper for house cleaning because my arm was better. I put an ad in the paper, and I got all of my clients in two weeks. So I had fifteen clients wow. that I did house cleaning for. And uh, but I could do it at my own speed and at my own time, so I really enjoyed doing that. And from that, I got uh, house sitting jobs. Right. And from that, and then from that, I got to to house sit cats and dogs, and but mostly cats. And and now all I have left is one is one uh, client, but I house sit for once or twice a year and. And she's got a cat called Honey Joe, and uh, it was a sweet little cat. I think it's a Maine Coon cat. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> and other than that, I start. I'm I'm doing painting. I paint uh, acrylics, and and try to sell them. 
Uh, once in a while, I sell, and I also make cards out of my watercolors. I do reflexology. I have one client who I've done for over 25 years. He's a retired iron worker, and his feet are everything. I'm, I discovered, I've been doing it for over 25 years, and I discovered that I really have a gift <laughs> in healing. And, um, and uh, this person knows it. And so, you know, so that's uh, one way that I, you know, uh, make money. And that I'm, I'd love to have other clients in that, but it's very difficult to do this and that. But um, I hope to do do it. I'm really good at it. And if people let me do do their feet, they you know I wouldn't have any problem uh, making money at it. No, I don't want to make money. First of all, is the healing um, and helping people to be healthy and. Uh, and, you know, but that's part of it. So that's one way. Another thing, raising I raised four kids alone. And, you know, I find that um, finding it's really good to find things on sale. Try and find, um, try and find ahead of time when they're going to have their sales. There's also, um, I had an experience just recently of uh, being an extra on, um, on a movie, well, TV set. And it was uh, for uh, a show called The Terror, uh, season two, and I was background Japanese folk. But it was a whole lot of fun. It's long, long days of, of working and standing around and waiting to get on set. But the food is good and the money is okay. So it's always nice to have a little extra pocket money. And I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking about uh, since we started the podcast we found out that, um, anyway, there's this big interest in technology and seniors. So I was thinking, what about having like a 411 exchange where it would be our own version of kind of Craigslist? And when you got a membership at 411 Seniors, that would be your um, authorization to um, offer... Taylor's paintings or Lynn's reflexology or, you know, there might be a, a, a part for particular services um, such as pet sitting. And, and um, anyway, that's just what I was thinking about because if we're going to be overwhelmed by technology, which I think a lot of us can feel like, why not make it work for ourselves? So... Anyway. I have a friend who um, is uh, is retired, but she does this. She has this job where she works with realtors, and um, she finds people who are downsizing. And what she does is she makes it very easy for them. Um, she packs up all their stuff um, that's not going with them, and she catalogs everything by uh, taking pictures of everything. And then putting them into like-minded things, like uh, like costume jewelry, for instance. So all the costume jewelry she has taken a picture of. And she has a site where she um, auctions off all these like-minded objects. And then, and then what they're done is, when they're done, uh, the auction is off, is finished, and then... 
people come at a certain time to this house and they pick up their stuff. And the, and the whole thing has already been paid for. And so all it is is pick up, drop off, and off you go. And she makes money at it. Well, she'd be a good person to consult about 411 exchange, wouldn't yeah. she? she? It sounds like she understands um, all the different steps and also, you know, how, how people exchange money. The other thing I, I thought of was um, scanning photographs and making, um, making catalogs for people. Uh, my generation, my mother's generation, we had, she's given me so many boxes full of photographs and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with all of these things, but wouldn't it be nice to have somebody come in and catalog all these things for me and digitize them? And it would take too much of my time, and, and I don't have that kind of tech knowledge, but it would be so easy for somebody else who's tech-savvy uh, of our age, and it would be a great job for somebody like that. I totally agree with the idea of... Um People could exchange services or, you know, um, or, you know, like, yeah, just really, it's a great, it's a great idea, you know, or barter, you know, I think it's just fabulous. Taylor, you also, um, with your paintings, you also do commission work. So that's another way of, of making some money. Um, uh, some regular money. Uh, yes, I've done two or no three of them in the last uh, month or so. Yeah, and um, I don't know what else to say. What, um, what, what were those of, commissions? What? Oh, they're for people's pets, oh. and I did uh, some cats and a dog, and I really enjoy doing them. So uh, you have a real knack with with cats. I sent I sent one of your cats down to my niece in um, Long Island. So there's a pitch for Taylor. <laughs> she has a she has a gift for doing. Um, well, she can do all kinds of different painting, but but she can do like a figure, like she can draw someone, and then she just has this knack for drawing pets and capturing them. But she has other talents. I don't know. <laughs> And Lynn, we talked about, just this morning, we talked about um, braiding hair. And you have this talent for braiding hair. So, I mean, that could easily make some money for you. I totally agree. It's, I love hair. I love doing it. And I'm a real perfectionist at it. Uh, it's hard for people to appreciate um, the level of art and um, love that I put in to braiding their hair, but that's the way I am. So yeah, I'm very good at it, and people are extremely happy when I'm finished. It's a lot of hard work, and I take a long time to do it, but I do it right, and I take a lot of pride in it. Is it, do, is it cornrows that you do? I, I, I do one thing. I take fake hair, and I braid it into their hair. So a lot of them have really short hair, a couple of inches, and I give them braids that are like 18 inches long. And, you know, like they might have 160 of them. Sign me up. <laughs> I, I, I do beautiful work. It's just, it's, it's really, it's just, an, it's, I love 
hair. I've always loved hair my whole life. I did. I was going to be a hairdresser. I went through all the steps and I had the place where I do my two years of training and everything. I was on my way to VCC to, to sign up and get started. And I met a person and I didn't do it. Uh, it's amazing. Th things come up to change your life. But I still love hair and will, will always uh, be doing people's hair or, or my own. <laughs> so one of the things I think I'm getting out of this is that I think it will make me uh, look at other opportunities for making extra money or, or even um, looking at things to, to barter or, you know, trade with people as a way of, of, of thinking what, what can we do with what we have either to trade with someone or to see it that it has value. Hi, I'm here today with Janice Bannister, and here's some information I found about Janice on the internet, so I'm sure it's all true. Janice Bannister teaches her own comedy courses through her Laughter Zone 101. She developed the Zoomer Boomer Senior Comedy Program for Century House in New Westminster. Currently, she also teaches a stand-up comedy program and an Arts for Brain Fitness program for SFU Continuing Studies. With a background in psychiatric nursing, Janice believes in the therapeutic power of laughter as a way for people to connect, share their ups and downs in life in an upbeat manner, and just plain have fun. She has performed at many comedy gigs, including the Vancouver International Comedy Festival, the Women's Network, She Laughs, and the Ha Ha Sisterhood in Seattle. Janice was also the 2018 keynote speaker at the New West Seniors Festival with her presentation, The Wrinkle Revolution. Welcome, Janice. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to have you on our very first 411 Powered by Age podcast. That's an exciting project. I'm really happy to be part of it. I'm curious, what is the Zoomer Boomer Senior Comedy Program? <laughs> well, it's just a little catch-all name because when I first started the program, I found that I had the 55-plusers who are busy and on the go, so we called them the Zoomers, and then we had the baby boomers in the middle who have another demographic, and the seniors who want to own their age and don't want to be affiliated necessarily with the younger people. So, But I will tell you the programs that I've done have averaged out to an average age of about 72. Wow. So even with all those different age demographics, it's the seniors that are doing this, oh, the comedy. Yeah. That's fantastic. Psychiatric nursing sounds like a very stressful, even perhaps dangerous profession. How does a psychiatric nurse become a stand-up comic and a comedy instructor? Well, I used to say the drugs were easier to get in stand-up comedy, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a natural progression for me. I love working with people. Um, I believe in wellness. I, I noticed all my years in psychiatric nursing that connection is a very important part of people getting well. And um, as a stand-up comedy instructor, I find that when people develop their comedy, they like to tell their stories. And sometimes that leads to a better place in their life as well. Mm. What is brain fitness? Ah, brain fitness is really taking care of your brain and stimulating it. Um, you know, it can be done in many, many ways. So it's... Uh, 
an, an activity, just like exercising. We exercise our bodies, you know, and this is exercising your brain. So what kind of things can people do to improve their brain fitness? The, what is proven in research, I'm a bit of a nerd, so I'm always reading these studies and research things. The best thing for anybody, especially at our senior ages, is to do new things. We tend to get locked into repetitive things. You know, if we were a dancer, we take dancing programs. If we were, uh, you know, a gardener, we work in our garden every day. All those things are good, but we should add something new because we want to create new connections between the neurons and that will replace old ones that have sometimes kind of died off because they're not getting re-stimulated. So new things, really important to do for brain fitness. And how might, how might this help our seniors out there listening to this podcast? Well, again, it, it first of all, again, they get into a new activity so they learn a new skill I mentioned about the new connections in the actual brain and also they meet new people sometimes they start new relationships friendships um, romances who knows what's in store once you try something new just get out there. get out there leave yeah. the house <laughs> and what is laughter zone 101 so Laughter Zone 101 is my company that teaches stand-up comedy, storytelling, and we produce numerous comedy shows, including BC's Funniest Female. Um, I just did a four-part series for Anvil Centre in New Westminster, and we featured a lot of female comics. Uh, and our upcoming show features South Asian comics. So I try and tap into some of the diversity of comedy that's not getting enough stage time, perhaps, and just introduce new comics. And, and the, the comics that we, or that I try to work with, sometimes are fairly new, but they really have a unique perspective on doing their comedies. Um, just off script, is is comedy cross-cultural? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it. When a lot of times in the classes, people realize that what they may have been saying about other cultures isn't acceptable on the comedy stage when you have someone that you're facing or sitting side by side. You're like, I sure, maybe I shouldn't have said that. So I get a chance to call some people out sometimes on comedy that isn't acceptable on the stage. Yeah. And yet we also make some really good uh, learning processes because you learn about other cultures and what is acceptable within their comedy genre. That's great. Why is therapeutic laughter important? And how can seniors get more medicinal chuckles in their lives? So therapeutic laughter is different than stand-up comedy, etc., because it's just laughing. And uh, research shows that laughter, when you just let it flow, is really a form of breathing. So you're laughing, ha, 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 you know, you're having a good laugh, you're stimulating your heart. You're stimulating your endorphins. Um, you're giving your face a nice stretch and your insides. It's kind of like having a detox and a Botox all, all in at one move at the same time, right? <laughs> so it, you don't have to be tell, listening to jokes, etc. But you can just laugh heartily with yeah. your, with your, you know, at yourself, basically, right, right. with yourself too. And is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I was just going to say, you mentioned about therapeutic laughter. So it's a wonderful way to start your day is to, you know, get up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror. And, you know, we sort of kind of had to get a, you know, a bit of a grumpy face in the morning. Just smile at yourself, make eye contact, let out a good laugh. If you can do it naked, you'll laugh probably even harder. <laughs> 
Um, and then as far as adding, I know here at 411, I saw that you have a laughter yoga coming in August. So that'd be a wonderful thing for everybody to check out. You know, it'd be great yeah. to see that. I myself um, will be teaching a class for SFU in the fall called um, the Comedy Arts, Finding Your Funny. And we'll every week we'll participate in a different activity, improv, theater, storytelling, and stand-up. So that gives people to have a little taste of every type of comedy art. And then in spring of 2020, I'll bring back the Arts for Brain Fitness, which again is a, a program that we interact and everybody participates. So it's nice to have people doing things. Yeah. And how can we get involved with with some of your classes? So my class, the SFU, of course, does a program. It's in the Continuing Studies 55+. plus. Um, my own programs are at www.laughterzone101.com. And I have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and probably posters in my bathroom. I just got, I haven't all figured all that out, but I know it's all there. So well, yeah, Laughter Zone 101, anybody can get a hold of me. Well, thanks very much for coming down to our Podstream studio today and keep smiling. Well, and thank you. And you keep smiling. You have a beautiful smile. It was thank a pleasure you. to meet you and so much fun to participate in this. So thank you, Mayumi. Here at 411, there are so many wonderful classes that allow us all to explore our creativity. One of the most dynamic collaborations we've had recently is our writing group. Since there have been so many fantastic stories coming out of this group, we thought we'd share a few of those short stories. Next up are stories from Taylor Coe, Kathy Gregg, John Roberts, and myself, Mayumi Spry. I hope you enjoy them. Cut by the cops. I was born on a farm in northern Alberta, and our summer, our summers consisted of playing cops and robbers and chores. Our chores included milking cows twice daily, feeding the calves, chickens, and pigs, picking sow thistles out of the grain, and doing general cleanup and dishes. Otherwise, we were free to roam. We had 158 acres to play in, and we did which we did quite exuberantly. Every summery meet beginning, we would throw off our cumbersome shoes and stockings and run barefoot for an entire holiday, barring none of the accidents of stepping on rusty nails, a frequent summer occurrence, or stepping on fresh cow pies, which dotted our landscape from one end to the other. Nothing could get in the way of freedom from books. In fact, we were so adamant about get, letting go of our scribblers we cut them up and fed them to one of our cows who had a craving for paper or of any form. <clears throat> that is, after, after we used it for money in our game of good guys and bad guys. When we began the summer, we would fashion our guns of axe handles and anything resembling a rifle or a handgun, and we would then give names to various places in our pastures, such as Devil's Dip, a gully eroded out of the ground and surrounded by huge willow trees, creating a shadowy hideout, not to mention Rustler's Cave, the Dark Hill, the dam, which was formed by beavers living on our property. Well, the continuing saga of our summer drama one day led us to the outer rim of our designated area, in other words, the highway. So we thought, how interesting, we could pretend shoot at the cars as they drive by, not being aware that the Mounties would be patrolling this section of the road 
And then, to our surprise, the car slowed down and turned off at our neighbor's driveway. Someone yelled, the cops! And we ran for the bushes in a flurry of excitement, not without some real fear. The car turned around and came back slowly. The driver peered through the bushes, looking for any movement. Then he stepped on the gas and drove off. Breathing a collective sigh of relief, we ran for home, feeling guilty and none too excited about our chosen game. The incident was soon forgotten, until a few hours later, a car pulled up in our yard, and lo and behold, if it wasn't the exact same car we saw on the highway, my brother instantly flew into action. He sped across the yard, jumped the pig pen fence, and disappeared into the woods. I could barely believe my eyes. I have never seen anyone move so fast or jump so high. I wasn't so lucky. When my mom went to the door, the policeman told her about some kids playing a dangerous game on the highway. He thought my brother's pickaxe handle was an air rifle, and he was concerned how the motorists would react to it, thereby causing an accident. Of course, I became curious and walked out onto the porch to have a better look, and a policeman immediately said, she's one of them. I cringed inside as my mother spewed out, you robbers, you wait till your dad gets home a constant threat in our family. <laughs> I'm not clear about what happened next, but the lecture my dad gave left a lasting impression on us all. He said, I spoke to the sergeant, and he, and we came to an agreement. If I ever hear of any of you doing something like this again, you will spend the next few days cooling your heels in jail. In, in passing, I would say that the lesson was learned well. None of us None of my six brothers and sisters and myself have ever gotten into trouble with the law again. Touch wood. The three of us were in Reitman's, a better quality clothing store 60 years ago than it is today. Reversible coats were the in thing. Rain and wind resistant, said the label. My older sister Sally really liked this one. A madras plaid burgundy, grey-green, muted tones, solid green on the reverse. I took an interest, too, in my future hand-me-down. But it was full price. She really wanted that coat. At 13, Sally used threats and derision, especially towards Mum, skills she had picked up from our alcoholic father to make her point. Do you want me to look like a hick? We had just moved from a small farm to London, Ontario, a real city, you will afford it if you want me to look half-decent. Sally glared at our mother, who was frowning deeply as she fingered the price tag. Olive-skinned, flawless skin, which I have always envied. Her face clouded over, black clouds when stressed or unhappy, and brightened to sunshine when she came to a decision. She did something I had never seen her do before. In conservative London, in a fairly nice retail setting, she asked for a discount on the madras coat. I do wonder about her thought process, the internal logic of her decision to perform this socially unacceptable act. Did Sally ever understand what Mum did for her that day? Mostly, Sally was relentlessly critical and insolent of everyone, including me. I didn't think my bully of an older sister deserved that coat. Mum thought otherwise. She threw back her shoulders, put her best bright and sunny face forward, and launched herself into a negotiation with the clerk. Sally and I almost died. What on earth is she doing? Is Mum begging now? She was courteous, friendly, and in a soft sell, slightly confidential mode, spoke. 
I was just wondering, offering the coat to the clerk to admire, are there any sales forthcoming? We are new to London. My daughter will be starting high school. I know we will be shopping here often. This is such a nice coat. My daughter really likes it. Unfortunately, it's just a little outside of the family's price range with settling in and all. Is there any chance of a small discount? The clerk appeared nonplussed, was silenced, and took a step backward. She moved off the floor to consult her manager. I held my breath. Sally was silent too. Mom got five bucks off. Who knows? Maybe an even deeper discount was forthcoming. Anyway, she got it for nineteen ninety nine, and looking back, didn't put much of a dent in her dignity. As all-consumed as Mum seemed to be, had to be with Dad, as difficult as he was, as a mother, she was observant, responsible, fair. She was never all that much off the mark about what we wanted, supplied what we needed, and enjoyed indulging us from time to time. After she died, I found she had purchased a beautiful golden jade ring for me. Sally had received a string of cultured pearls for her grade 13 graduation, Dad's idea. That would have been just after her first psychotic break. I did get ignored for a while, more than usual, as Sally's schizophrenia progressed along with Dad's alcoholism. Right, and Mum's depression. I see that now. I didn't receive a high school graduation gift. Well, a suitcase, not a personal adornment. I was pissed with that suitcase, honestly. I was 28 when Mum took her life, but I knew exactly what the ring she left for me signified. She was acknowledging the Sally dynamics that had overshadowed me. She was trying to even up the love tokens. In happier times, she enjoyed sending surprise care packages full of whimsy. The first pair of pantyhose when they came on the market in 1966. I was at Penn State. Lettuce cigarettes, which tasted not too bad. Fresh, green, faintly pungent to get me to stop smoking the acrid, lung-lacerating Bensons and Hedges I craved, which she included as well. Always an assortment of oddball mechanical pencils. Mum had always loved them. Trinkets, cash, hidden here and there. Funny playing cards. I imagine she was thinking about me when she packed that box. Crumb cake, too, so good. Cinnamon nutmeg, moist, full of plump, cold raisins, and that delectable, crumbly topping. She would bake this complicated recipe and package the fragile cake in saran wrap, even though she was quite undomestic. The sleeves of the madras coat turned out to be too short for me, although I did wear it a few times. Come to think of it, Mum wore it, sometimes. The colour suited her and it fit. She was slightly taller than Sally, but shared her petite yet curvaceous proportions. I towered over them both by thirteen. Later, when we moved to Pittsburgh, Mum and I went shopping for a winter coat for me. It was cotton fabric, beige, lined, hooded. She let me get a good in-style brand. Dad was doing well in spite of his drinking. That coat was expensive. Mum knew better than to ask for a discount at a really classy store. In the end, Mum paid the full price for just about everything. Existentialist. Excuse me, stranger, since you're sitting next to me in this bar, you might be interested in hearing about the perils of betting on horses. Promise I won't take long. When I was young, my friends suggested we take in the horse races. 
We arrived at the track and had to decide which horses we fancied. My friends recommended I study the racing guide, but I declined, wanting to trust my feelings. Then I saw a pretty little filly running in the third race. Okay, I'll admit it, I fell for her when she pranced by and gave me that uh, come-hither look. Her name was Existentialist. The odds were great, twenty to one. I bet all my money on her to win. At those odds with a twenty-dollar bet, I would go home with four hundred dollars in my pocket. The horses arrived at the gate. The bell rang, and they were off clustered together when they reached the first turn. I couldn't see which horse was in the lead at the back stretch. And when they hit the last turn and came down the home stretch, I couldn't see existentialist. I screamed, where are you? They hit the finish line. Alas, no existentialist. She sauntered in last by a country mile, and I swear she winked at me when she strolled by. I was broken both financially and emotionally. A few months later, my friends persuaded me to try the track again. Maybe you can win back your money, they said. Who was running in the first race but my pretty nemesis? I told everyone, don't bet on her. She doesn't care. She'll break your heart as well as your wallet. Yes, it happened. She looked like a triple crown winner and won by five lengths. And as she went by, she curled her lip and whinnied, I'm a fickle filly, and you are not my type. Stranger, never bet on an unknown filly, no matter how pretty. By the way, I'm a bit short. Can you lend me $20? The Musician On a crisp, sunny morning in February, the musician strolled along the edge of a dark forest, strumming an old guitar with a small dog of uncertain origins ambling at his side. Dogs of various sizes and ancestry, doing whatever dogs do, stopped, perked up their ears, and ran towards the music. And in twos, threes, and fours, they fell in behind the little dog as the musician played a medley of their favorite melodies. You think you're having a dog day afternoon? What about me? I'm going to the dogs, so there. I'll meet you in Barkerville, don't be late. How much is that doggy in the window? The dogs began to hum. Then howl. Beginning with Adagio, sliding onto Allegro, moving to Forte, then towards a final crescendo of a heavenly chorus. That moment was greater than Messiah and ode to joy. I was brought to tears when I heard the sublime performance of the soloist, a Saint Bernard, who effortlessly surpassed Pavarotti and Domingo. I tried to hold on to that moment of oneness with the universe and all her creatures as the dogs followed the musician into the dark forest. Alas, the howls began to fade, grow faint until all was silent. A whimper caught in my throat. Then I howled as I rose from all fours, 
to join the humans. This is a story about me and my gallbladder. We had just returned from one of the best concerts of all time, the Moody Blues at the Gorge by the Columbia River in George, Washington. Such a beautiful, beautiful spot. But I couldn't enjoy even my favorite song, Nights in White Satin, Never Reaching the End, Letters I've Written, Never Meaning to Send, since I was so sick. I felt awful. I couldn't eat a thing. All I did was eat crackers all weekend long. We hurried back home in time to see my doctor. She immediately diagnosed me with gallstones, and I was off to emergency. The surgeon at the hospital looked like Danny DeVito. Short, chubby, bald, and Italian. He shook his head and clucked that it wasn't surprising I had gallstones since I was fat. I've never seen a fat Japanese woman until now. He pulls out a photo from his wallet to show me. This is my Japanese wife, and she's not fat. He shakes his head. You should take better care of yourself. Asshole. The nerve of him. He called me fat. Who the hell does he think he is? He's Danny DeVito, for God's sake. I complained to my doctor, who admitted his bedside manner was non-existent, but she reassured me that he was the best surgeon in the city. Just before I'm wheeled into the operating room, my surgeon has his hands cupped around my face, shaking his head and pinching my cheek, frowning all the while. My Yumi, you're just so fat. I'm not too sure I'll be able to do the orthoscopic surgery. I may, up, may end up having to remove your gallbladder the old way, with a much larger incision. But then again, you're not exactly bikini model. So it should be fine, don't worry. I've done this surgery so many times, I could do it in my sleep. Go on now, and have sweet dreams. Asshole! Again he called me fat. He wasn't exactly model material either. He was Danny DeVito, for God's sake. Short, chubby, bald and Italian. Count backwards from 100. 99, 98, 97, 96. Then I hear the nurse. Mayumi, Mayumi, it's time to wake up. Thank God, I say, you speak English. Well, of course I speak English. Then I tell the nurse that I had a dream. I heard voices. They sounded frantic. I saw bright neon lights above my head. They felt warm against my face. I heard more panic in those voices. I wondered what was happening to me. Then I heard the most beautiful music, a fantastic tenor voice singing an Italian aria. It sounded like Luciano Pavarotti. She laughed. Apparently, there was a complication during surgery. My lung collapsed. The operation took longer than expected, so I needed more anesthetics. I must have wakened for a few seconds. My surgeon sings arias when he becomes stressed at work. Can you imagine Dr. DeVito singing arias? Thank God, I say to the nurse. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. No one told me heaven is Italian. And I don't speak Italian. Now I wonder, what language do they really speak in heaven? Well, that just about wraps up 
is 411, powered by Age Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to all the podcast producers, Janice Panister, all the other kind participants, and the guys at Podstream Studio who helped make this all happen. Thank you.